0: and we shouldn't listen to anything we as a church believe that Jesus the man who spoke these words is Lord of all and this should be listened to even if it hurts as it hits the eardrum and you take it in and it's like ah that doesn't taste great that doesn't smell great I don't know about that we must take it in because this is what Jesus said and here's Jesus big idea I just get it from verse 35 very simply Jesus says be ready because I'm coming back That's his message for us. And then he uses some pictures that are pretty intense. But Jesus wants us to know, be ready. I'm coming back. So I want to pray and just prepare our hearts for that message that Jesus says, get ready. Assumption, we're not as ready as we could be. So let's bow and pray together. Jesus, I'm not as ready as I should be. I think about your coming uh, not as frequently as probably I should, and yet one of your gifts to us as people with little faith, dripping faith that is always uh, smaller than it could be, you give us the church, a weekly meeting, gathering to come together to sing beautiful truths that we've maybe even forgotten this last week, and to be reminded of your beauty and your goodness and your truth, and in this passage, often be reminded of the harsher realities of what it means that you are Lord of all and that all of life truly is all for Jesus. And there's coming a day where that will be proven by you as the King. Help us to hear the words from this passage, Lord. We love you. It's in Christ's name we pray. Everyone said? So here's what we got. We got two parables. You heard them. One's not as intense, the other one is very intense. Two parables, and then three mental shifts I think we need to make in our discipleship. So here's parable number one. It's a picture of readiness. If you're a note taker, parable number one is this first chunk before Peter chimes in is a picture of readiness. So let's just read together this picture Jesus wants in our head. Verse 35 down through verse 38. Here's Jesus still preaching this sort of sermonette, series of sermonettes on money and our relationship with money. Servants. First picture is somebody has gone off to a wedding feast. The master of the house is out partying. They don't know when he's going to be back. It could be the second watch. It could be the third watch. Second watch is nine to midnight. Third watch is midnight to three. Point being, he's out having a great time. He put us in charge of this house. We don't know when he's coming back. What happens? They're going to, he's going to come back. And if they're doing what they're supposed to be doing, what does the master do? The master in this story is God. He takes off his party clothes, he puts on his servant clothes, and he serves his servants. If they're ready for him, he knocked once and they opened the door in anticipation for their master who was out at a party. Be ready. Stay ready. Stay awake. Second picture we get is verse 39 and 40. Jesus switches metaphors now. Let's read this. 39 says, but know this. If the master of the house had known at what hour the thief was coming, he would not have left his house to be broken into. You also must be ready, for the Son of Man is coming at an hour you do not expect. What's the second image he gives us for readiness? Is be like a homeowner who expects a break-in with no idea or concept or preparation for when exactly the break ins going to happen. Be ready for the thief that is sneaky, and he's coming at an hour. You do not be like that master who prepared his house well for a break-in. Be ready. The thief is coming. Just like, like that, the Son of Man is coming at an hour you do not expect. That's why it says, verse 35, Stay dressed for action and keep your lamps burning. Eugene Peterson wrote a paraphrase of the Bible, the message. It's very easy, very accessible. I love reading it. And he says this, this is how he translates Jesus' word: "Keep your shirts on and keep your lights on." Jesus is coming back. Keep your pants on, keep your shirts on, keep your lights on. Be ready. Why? Because Jesus is coming back. When? Nobody knows. He's coming like a thief in the night. Be ready, Jesus says. And again, like you walk in, you're like, "I just wanted to be told I was loved by God, if there was a God." You tell me now. You tell know, me be ready for something. I'm not even. This is a lot. Just so you know where this is coming from, Jesus early on in this message, verse 22, a couple weeks ago I preached this, Jesus says this to the same crowd. I tell you, don't be anxious about your life, about what you eat, about what you put on. Don't be worried. Your Father cares for you. Now you fast forward a couple of verses and now he's saying, and be ready because I'm coming back at a moment you do not expect. Why is he doing that? Because here's how humans work. Not even just Christians, humans. There's always a pendulum swing we're on. This is politics in America. We're always like swinging. How far? So you swing. Don't be anxious about anything. And you could swing it so far that you miss the fact that Jesus is coming back one day and you're going to give an account for your life. Every aspect of your life you will place before God, the King. So the don't worry is important, but also be ready. I'm coming back. Be ready. Stay on guard. Keep your shirts on. Keep your lights on. I'm coming back. What's, I was just trying to think, like, what events in life, other than we only had C-sections, like a pregnancy where you, like, it's know it's coming, but you don't know, and you're prepared. You got, like, that. We ain't never got that blessing, but I don't know many life experiences where, like, there's a most important event that's going to happen, but you don't really know when it's going to happen, and this is the most important event in human history, and none of us know when it's going to happen. That's why Jesus says, Be ready stay in guard. I'm coming back. Keep your lights on. Be prepared. And then Peter, my boy, I love him. He says what everyone thinks. He's got the boldness to speak up. Verse 41, Peter says, Lord, are you telling this parable for us or for all? Peter's question is, do I need to get ready? Do they need to get ready? Do we need to get ready? In other words, say, do Christians need to get ready? Do non-Christians need to get ready? Do all of us need to get ready? Like, that's sort of his, like, I'm in line with you, Jesus. I'm doing the Jesus thing. Is it us we're getting ready? And Jesus does not answer his question. He turns to another parable that affects all of us, which sort of answers his question. He does not say, Peter, I'm saying this for you 13. 13. He goes into another picture, another parable, and this is the intensity that Emily read. He reads a few different parables of judgment, meaning when this person comes back, when the master of the house returns, what's that day of reckoning going to look like? He now turns to parable number two, a picture of judgment. So let's read this again, what Emily read for us. Here's what I want to do. I'm going to put the four types of people on the screen, so you, if you're a note taker. But verse 42 down through verse 48, Jesus talks about four different types of people on the day of judgment. And let's just read through. The first one is the faithful and wise servant. Verse 42 through 44. And the Lord said, again, Peter just said, who's this for? He goes into story. Who then is the faithful and wise manager whom his master will set over his household to give them their portion of food at the proper time? Blessed is that servant. Whom his master will find so doing when he comes. Truly I say to you, he will set him over all his possessions. First one, faithful and wise, master comes back, gives him more. That's a great story. Jesus doesn't end there. Verse 45, next type. We'll call him the unfaithful and unjust servant. But if that servant says to himself, my master is delayed in coming. So he knows there's a master. He knows there's a coming. He just doesn't really care about getting ready for it. He begins to beat the male and female servants and to eat and drink and get drunk. The master of that sermon will come on a day when he does not expect him. An hour he does not know will cut him into pieces and put him with the unfaithful. Just so you know, and that's what that word means. Cut him in pieces, put him with the unfaithful. The question is, how literal is it? But number two is not a great option. Number three, faithful but we'll call him the not ready servant. Verse 47, third person in this parable. And that servant who knew his master's will but did not get ready or act according to his will will receive a severe beating. This is Jesus Christ, God-man, who in my life has spoken words over me more beautiful than I've ever heard or deserved to hear. He's now speaking some very harsh words that he wants all of us to hear. This person received a severe beating He knew it, but he was not ready for it. And finally, the fourth one, verse 48, the unaware servant, or we can call him ignorant, but the one who did not know and did what deserved a beating will receive a light beating. Everyone to whom much was given, of him much will be required, and from him to whom they entrusted much, they will demand more. Here's the question. Which one are we supposed to put on as the character that we are supposed to read ourselves into the story as? That's a very important question. (laughs) Very important. Because somebody got more possessions than he could ever dream, and one person got cut up into pieces and placed with the unfaithful. Which one is me? Here's what I just experienced in pastoring. There's all these natural flinches in our hearts, different people have. So I'm like a naturally optimistic person. I got saved. I'm just excited. I'm going to go to heaven. I don't think much about the heavier things in life, like... Some of you are like that. Like, at one point, you were a sixth grader. You were 20. You got saved. You gave your life to Jesus. You became a Christian. And you're like, I'm done. Call that cheap, free grace. Like, I received the grace of Jesus. God has some harsh words he wants you to hear and not paint over with rosy optimism quite yet. There's other people. My life is a little more pessimistic a word. She would say realistic. But like in the Christian life, these people like that sort of have a self-doubt towards themselves all the time. And I'm like, am I really, am I really a Christian? Like, is this really for me? I don't know. I, you don't know me. I know me and I, and then you read something like this, you have it preached and it's like you're automatically going to place yourself in one of those harsher categories. That's not necessarily what needs to happen. Maybe. But I encourage you to hear the heart of Jesus through this passage for you as a child of God. There's other people in here that this is just too heavy a concept or a topic. As we've planned this church, we've got all different streams of people, newer Christians, people that have been in the redemption family a long time with like a deep theological well. And we've got a lot of people with sort of a thin discipleship who have not taken on the weightier, heavier things yet. A passage in the New Testament, Paul would say, you're still on milk, you need to get on some grown-up food. This seems to be harder to chew and digest than a lot of Jesus' teachings. If you're somebody who naturally does not flinch towards this stuff, I'd encourage you, stay in the game. You need to eat meat to grow as a Christian. And then finally, this is more and more just the heartbeat of our church. There's like a teachable spirit here. So all of us, if if we have the spirit in us, if we're Christians, Jesus says, my sheep hear my voice and they do what I want. If you have that, just lean into, Jesus, teach me in this moment. Right now, what do you want me to hear about these servants? So what are we going to do with this? Here's some theological options. There's purgatory. We could just throw it in that camp. Meaning you've got really big sin Jesus is taking care of. But you also have this other sin sort of hidden in your back pocket. And one day you're going to meet Jesus, and the way you're going to atone for that sin is sort of a waiting period of judgment. That is not right. Just so you know. Because it diminishes the beauty of the cross and the fact that Jesus said, it is finished. My grace is sufficient. Purgatory is an option. You got the robots telling us it's all metaphorical. I think they're more right than my Roman Catholic friends. Reason being, even when it talks about cutting up into pieces, like I know that's metaphorical because that's not even how Jesus describes hell. So he's just using something to describe the reality of hell that's metaphorical, which means what makes me think all of them are sort of metaphorical, but they need to be listened to because they're speaking on a truth that is really there. So we got that. But here's sort of the easiest way to break down. Here's your four people. The first one, I think we'd all agree, I want to be that guy. He's in heaven and he's got more stuff from the Lord. The second one, we'd all say, I don't want to be that guy. He was unfaithful, unjust, cut up into pieces and placed with the unfaithful. The real question now is the last two, faithful but not ready and unaware, a severe beating and a lighter beating. What do we make of what Jesus is saying here? I think he's speaking to all of us. Peter, which one are you talking to? Jesus says, let me tell you a story. And he tells a story about four different types of servants. So we're going to walk back through and just make sure we understand what Jesus is saying. Here's what each person is, is described with each person. Their readiness and their actions. So each person is described in terms of how ready they were for the return of Jesus. And how much action was being placed with that readiness. The other, the other way they're described is how much knowledge they had of their master's return. And what they did with that knowledge. Third one. The master's response to them. Reward or judgment. And then Jesus uses with each of them some metaphorical image to describe what that meeting will be when Jesus returns and meets servant one, servant two, servant three, servant four. So let's just walk back through and make sure we understand this. First one, verse 42, the faithful and wise servant. It's on the screen if you want to follow along. Verse 42, the Lord said, who then is the faithful and wise manager whom his master will set over his household to give them their portion of food at the proper time? blessed is that servant whom his master will find so doing when he comes truly i say to you he will set him over all his possessions so that's the first one faithful and wise he is ready and he's working not just working busy work working in light of the coming of his master he's ready and he's working What knowledge? He had a knowledge of God. He had a knowledge of the return of his master and he was using that knowledge to inform his daily actions. What was the master's response? His master will set him over household, give him portion at the proper time. Uh, Verse 44, truly I say to you, he will set him over all his possessions. Some commentators say this is talking a lot about teachers and leaders of the, which I don't disagree with. I think that's a big part of it, especially God says you teachers better not screw this up. Your judgment's harsher than everyone else. But I think in general, what we see is the master returns and he gives them even more. What does Jesus say? Well done, good and faithful servant. Enter into the joy of your master. I will set you over plenty. What is that? That is heaven and the rewards of heaven for he who was ready for the second coming. That's the first one. What about the second one? Unfaithful and unjust servant. Let's walk through this. This is the most severe... The most shake you to your core. Verse 45. But if that servant says to himself, my master is delayed in coming and begins to beat the male and female servants and to eat and drink and get drunk, the master of that servant will come on a day when he does not expect an hour he does not know. He will cut him into pieces and put him with the unfaithful. So the servant has a knowledge of what the master said he would do. I'm going to return. But what's he do? He uses the time to hoard the resources. Not just hoard the resources, but then use uh, other people as a means to an end for himself. There's injustice. There's unfaithfulness. He uses his time to serve himself. Although he knew the theological reality that there is a master coming back. And how does the master respond to this person? He cuts him into pieces it's a severe word it's only used twice in the new testament another time in matthew jesus telling a similar story and then the matthew story it's completely talking about hell being cut off from the presence of god once and for all and placed into hell for eternity severe and removed from the faithful and placed with the unfaithful that's the response to this person it's intense and it's the words of jesus he's either a liar he's either a lunatic or he's Lord, and we should take this as that. That's the second one. So those two are the easiest theologically for me. Heaven and the rewards that come for faithfulness here and now. The reality of hell coming for those that would reject the knowledge of God here and now and live for themselves and even do so by using injustice towards others. There's coming a day where God's going to make all things right, and the punishment is coming. But what about number three and four? because I think a lot of us be like, ah, what do you think you deserve from God? A lighter beating? <laughs> so you want this to be you. <laughs> let's read verse 47, 48 together and then we'll talk about these final two. The servant who knew his master's will but did not get ready for it or act according to his will will receive a severe beating. Verse 48, let's see the other one. But the one who did not know, was ignorant, was unaware about a returning master. And did what deserved a beating, same actions, different mindset, will receive a light beating. Everyone to whom much was given, of much Him will be required, and from Him to whom they entrusted much, they will demand more. The same word, beating, just severity of beating. It's the same word. The only difference in these two people is their knowledge of God and what they did with it. One person knew and did not get ready, the other person did not know, so therefore did not get ready. Severe beating lighter beating, what are we talking about here? Is this purgatory? No. What are we talking about then? Is this layers of heaven, layers of hell? Here's what I think, is Jesus is using metaphor and pictures to describe what judgment day is going to be like with images that we understand, explaining a day that none of us fully understand, but is going to happen to each of us. And I think these two people are Christians who face Judgment Day and there's sort of a, a loss on Judgment Day based off how they lived here and out. Not a loss of salvation, they have eternity with God forever. Yeah. However, there is a moment where they must do this and place before God all that they've done, said, spent, looked at, and it feels like a beating. 1 Corinthians has a great passage on judgment day as far as giving it color. Here's what the Apostle Paul says about this coming judgment day. If anyone builds on the foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, straw, each one's work, this is all on the judgment day, will become manifest for the day, capital D means judgment day, will disclose it because it will be revealed by fire. And the fire will test what sort of work each one has done. If that, the work that anyone has built on the foundation survives, he will receive a reward. If anyone's work is burned up, he will suffer loss, though he himself or she herself will be saved, but only as through fire. You see that? There's going to be rewards, and there's going to be a moment where there's a burning up of stuff, actions, but you're still saved, walking into glory with the Lord. If anyone's work is burned up, he will suffer loss. The day is coming like a thief in the night when God is going to come back and judge it all. That should be terrifying to all of us. Not in a crippling way where you can't leave here and even function, but in a real way like the Lord of the universe is coming back. What are we going to do to prepare for that day? Here's what I know about me my wife's like this. I think a lot of us are like this. It's hard to think about judgment day because here's here's why I think. We think about our sin and there's like, we just know us and we know the sin that we've exposed and told people about and we know all the secret stuff about us. We just know how icky and gross and sinful we really are. So when we think about a day where all that's taken away and it's completely revealed, it's like, It tests our knowledge of the gospel. Like, did Jesus really accomplish what he said he accomplished? And the answer is, yes, he did. However, I think this passage would be better thought through thinking that here's some terms I want to give you. When I'm thinking about discipleship with people, all Christians are one of these, all these three things at the same time. We're sinners. We're sufferers, meaning all of our problems aren't just because my sin. It's also because of other sin in other people's life that has affected me. So we're suffering all the time. In a variety of ways, we're sinners and we're also stewards. I think what's helpful in this is don't think about sin. Because Colossians says this, all of your debt, all of your sin, all of my sin, if your faith is in Jesus Christ, has been nailed to the cross. Meaning all the sin that I've ever produced, brought into the life, put on my kids, put on my wife, put on any of you, has been taken care of by the blood of Jesus, has been nailed to the cross. My sin is no more. So you could almost remove that centerpiece. However, I am still called to steward my life in a way like I'm going to face him one day and he's going to test my work with fire. That's what we're waiting for, the coming judgment day. How are we going to prepare for this? I Give us three mental shifts and then I want to pray for us and we want to sing together because I need some good music to sing after this message. (laughs) But here's the first mental shift. Very simply, from a blank calendar to a timer. The American dream is fill up your life, fill up your calendar with whatever you want to be in life. The Christian reality is there is coming a day. There's actually a timer you can't see that is ticking down. And when it hits zero, Jesus steps back down to earth, not as a baby, but as a king, wearing a crown, carrying a sword, riding a horse, coming back to judge the living and the dead. That's the next major event in human history, according to the Bible. That day's coming. We don't have a blank calendar. We don't have endless days. There's a timer, and Jesus will return. Some of you saw this news. Whatever this doomsday calendar is, I got an image here. So very smart scientists have a doomsday calendar, meaning when is the earth going to implode because of our actions as humans? and they got stuff like global warming mixed into their global wars and with the Russia Ukraine deal they just bumped it up to the shortest amount of time 90 seconds away from total destruction it's a metaphor meaning we're as close as we've ever been to ending the human race according to very smart scientists i'm not very smart but the bible says for sure jesus is coming back and that has how this world is. that does not make those things irrelevant War and famine and stewardship of the earth and climate are all very important. However, there is a timer that no human knows and Jesus Christ is coming back like a thief in the night. Put that in your mind. You can't live with it always like at the forefront of your mind. But from time to time, especially when you come to church and we preach on it, think about it. Dwell on that. Like, am I ready for a thief in the night who's not a thief, but he's Lord of heaven and earth. Two things the Bible tells us to prepare for your death, which is not what this passage is talking about at all, although it has implications. It's talking about when Jesus actually returns to this earth. Are we ready for that moment? One of my mentors, a pastor in Texas, got saved, was a crazy guy in college. Given an index card, he's at this like campus crusade for Christ thing, index card on one card, side of the cards. they said, write down what you're going to do with your life in the next 20, 30 years. And yeah. I'm gonna kill it i'm gonna dominate i'm gonna make a million bucks i'm gonna okay flip it over if you knew jesus was coming back in three months what would you do with your next three months and the guy said if there's a big discrepancy from one side and the other you're not living like jesus says to be ready for his coming you're living like i used to think about christianity i'm gonna get all of life and then at some point i'm gonna turn and go down the jesus road That's not how it works. Jesus is coming, and he's not going to tell anyone before he arrives. He's just going to be here. The timer is clicking. Here's the second one. Here's the main point I think Jesus wants us as a church to hear, is there's a mental shift from masters to stewards. Everyone in here is like my kids. Everything is mine. Mine, I think I bought that Xbox, but I, I hear what you're saying, son. However, I tend to disagree you grow up, you become an adult, you learn how not to vocalize that, but you still have it internalized. Like, this is mine. I made this money. This is my Saturday. This is my Friday afternoon. This is my morning, my... Sorry, this is me just having my own... <coughs> my own counseling session. This is mine. And the main language you use to talk about he who's coming back is master in this language. Lord. When you pray to God, when you think about God, like what word is your default? Heavenly Father? Dad? I don't know. There's not a wrong, I mean, there's wrong answers, but I would say Lord is a word that he's given us to identify him by. It's a way to remind ourselves he is Lord, which makes me a steward of what he has given me for a season to steward. We are simply stewards. We've been given stuff, gifts, time, resources, and we're to use it to steward it as well as we can. One way to think about this that I think might be helpful is I think when we think about sin, we often think of one category. So there's two categories. There's sins of commission, doing what you shouldn't do. I should not cheat on my spouse. I should not look at that. I should not cheat on my taxes. I should not gossip in my head. I should not gossip with my mouth. I should not. I should not. That's a bunch of stuff. We know what we shouldn't do. But there's also sins of omission. Sins of omission is where there's something you should have done, could have done, but you did not do. Often for good reasons. Often for reasons given to you by a counselor or somebody who's smart. But you chose not to. There's sins of omission. I think that's what we're talking about here with stewardship is what are we doing? Are Are we doing the things we ought to do and should do based off the limited time Jesus has given us? Why? Because verse 48, to everyone to whom much has been given, much will be required. And from him to whom they entrusted much, they will demand even more. Just to bring it back into money, this is a money series, but it's really about a heart, but just money. If Jesus comes back this year, 2022 is your last financial year on the books and that's your that sheet 2022 finances is the thing you get to give to him when he returns are you ready and if the answer is no at all i would say well then change it starting now and not like guilt and fear and shame but christian discipleship change it right now jesus says get dressed turn on your lights put on your pants get ready and here's the number one way to start changing that is change your mindset. You are not the master of anything. You don't own anything. I don't own anything. I am a steward. You are a steward. We are stewards. Here's some questions you How will I spend God's money this year? How will I spend God's time this week? How will I spend God's fill in the blank? It's his. We're just stewards. We've got to make that mental shift if we're going to experience any sort of maturity in discipleship. Make the shift make the shift. And then finally, here's the one that's nearest to my heart as I think about us and I've been praying for us. is we must make a mental shift from simply a ticket to heaven to meeting him on judgment day. What do I mean by that? So, ticket to heaven, here's a question to sort of We're all going to die. Not what the passage is talking about, but a reality for all of us. Am I going to heaven or am I going to hell? You could say, well, I don't believe in any of those. Okay, just entertain me for a second. Where are you going when you die? The question you have, will God have grace for me when I meet him one day? And here's what I know most, no, take that away. Here's what I know most people are like me before I was a Christian. They're sort of like a... <laughs> meaning you don't have, to have a definite answer to that question. Jesus Christ went to a cross, a real cross. He shed real blood. He breathed his last. And before he did, he said, it is finished. What was finished, Jesus? All the work necessary to give you the grace to forgive you of everything you've ever done. All your sin is taken care of. All my sin is taken care of. The grace is there. How do you receive it? You simply open up your hands by faith and receive it. How do you become a Christian? You receive the gift of Jesus Christ and what he did in his life, death, and resurrection. Just receive it. Say, I believe it. And it's accounted to you as righteousness. You're good. You've got grace. I think a lot of people stop there. And they sort of have a ticket to heaven now. And they put in their back pocket this passage was put here by the holy spirit for us to say it's more than just a ticket to heaven one day we're also going to show up and meet him and we need that ticket of grace jesus finished work but he's also going to look at our work and say how did you do with what i gave you here's the judgment day question what did i do with all that grace i got saved at 18 over 20 years ago what have i been doing the last 20 years Just walking around with the most beautiful ticket to heaven ever? Or have I been doing stuff? And here's the beauty of Jesus. His mercies are new every morning. You could have walked in here a complete moron in every sense of the word. Full of sin, full of shame, full of debt, full of whatever. And Jesus says, go. Your sins are forgiven. Sin no more. Get ready. I'm coming back. He says this, stay dressed for action Keep your lamps burning. Why? Because I'm coming back one day and I'm going to reward you. And it's going to be a serious, somber moment like this world has never seen before. And for Christians, we have eternity on the other side, but we're going to meet him. And how we stewarded what we have is a major question that he's going to sift through with us. This is something we all need. None of us woke up on Sunday morning thinking, you know what I need? A real heavy message about stewardship. But we have a God who knows what we need more than we do. And that's why he gave us this. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. God, let these words sink in. Let the words of Jesus not uh, get fluttered away with our optimism and cheap grace. Let these words not pierce our soul in a condemning way. With our natural negativity or pessimism. But let us soberly hear the words of Jesus, gratefully remembering that we are saved because of what Jesus did, but also sitting in this moment, well aware that Jesus is coming back again. And he's not going to another cross, he's going to a judgment seat to sit before all of us. And God, we want to be faithful, so we confess where we're not we thank you for this church gathering where we get to come fully who we are, not faking it, present to you who we are, present to our friends and brothers and sisters in this room that we've really screwed up in big ways. And then hear from them and from you and from music and from teaching that your grace really is big enough for all our failures. And your grace is powerful enough to pick us up and send us out more ready and more dressed for action. Lord, thank you for this word. Help us to be faithful. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.